Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. As a hoof care provider, I often hear of a horse's training program and how they're doing under saddle. Sometimes this comes with complaints of behavioral issues or struggles. My first thought jumps to, is this horse hurting somewhere? One trainer with extensive insight into body work, body soreness, muscle development, and rehab training is fellow podcaster Jacques Ballou, who hosts the Best Horse Practices podcast. She is also the author of 101 Dressage Exercises for Horse and Rider, as well as many other books. In fact, her book, 55 Corrective Exercises for Horses, has helped some owners I see with lameness rehab. I reached out to Jack to see if she would answer some questions about the symptoms of hoof soreness in the body and ways we can help work through body compensations horses develop from sore feet. So actually, I have had a, a handful of your books like kicking around my barn, and I've, I've used some of the exercises with my own pony that I lease, and I don't think I even really made the connection when somebody mentioned that I should have you on the podcast, that it was the same person. Uh, so this is really cool that I'm able to Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering if you could tell us how you actually got into training and working with horses in the first place. Yeah, sure. So that's pretty easy. I was raised in a horse training family back east in Vermont. My parents were trainers, mainly focusing on carriage driving, on uh, combined driving. And uh, my dad still does quite a bit of that in Vermont. So I was raised with it and I loved it from the beginning. I never thought I would pursue it professionally. Honestly, I, I went off to college with other ideas. But one day was was traveling in Europe and was outside of a stable and just suddenly really missed life with horses. So I pursued it ever since. And my, my agreement to myself is if I wake up one day and it's no longer something I really love, if it's just really feeling like a job, like J O B job that I will pivot to something else. Cause that's just not fair to, it's hard to make your avocation, your vocation, you know? So, yeah. so, so far, you know, 30 years in where I'm still in very much in love with it. So. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And actually, I'm in Massachusetts. So I didn't realize that you had started in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never intended to stay out here in California. But I will say that I've been out here long enough to know that I don't want to do those winters again. So <laughs> I've I'm just adapting to being a wimp. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they can be not fun. <laughs> so I don't I don't blame you at all. Um, so obviously my podcast is about hooves and soundness, and I know that you've written a few articles and discussed, uh, sore feet and compensations that we see in the body before. So I want to ask a mm -hmm. little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways that you as a trainer might suspect that a horse might have sore feet? Well, I mean, as you know, it's, everything is so interconnected. It's hard. And to say that any of us trainers is skilled and has a trained enough eye to immediately know its feet would be very generous. Um, however, the one thing that does stand out for me is a strong reluctance to go forward. I believe there, there are very, very few 
innately quote unquote lazy horses those kinds of horses that are just shuffling around making dust you know their owner is like flogging them with the whip they just won't move forward at a you know brisk ground covering gait right away generally i go to those horses feet i usually think they're quite sore or they've had some sort of like a navicular syndrome for so long that i almost feel like they can't even feel their feet sometimes so that's one thing I would say right off the bat is a total lack of forward. And then, and this has come from, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Jim Masterson and have watched his evolution over the years. He really helped me see that really any warmth, heat, pain in the pole and, and really the whole neck, but especially the pole behind the ears is, it can be, not always, but it can be a big red flag to check out the feet. So those are two things that come immediately to, to my mind. Did, were there ones in particular you were interested in? No, I mean, I'm sort of coming at this from somebody who stares at the feet all the time, and I need to be more aware of some upper body indications of sore feet because I'm so focused on, you know, the hoof landing or a shorter stride or, you know, other wear patterns in the foot that I don't always look at various other compensatory things in the body. And that's what I'm actually trying to learn more about. Well, I really admire that. I think, I think that's wonderful. I mean, I obviously I think we all need to work together, but yeah, definitely the neck that just rigid guarded position in a neck to me is a, is a warning sign typically about the feet. And like I say, just sluggishness is typically very commonly related to feet. Yeah. I, yeah, I've definitely seen that for sure. And have you seen any changes in body muscling from a guarded movement? Or is there anything that we can see throughout? I know that you mentioned the neck, but is there anything else that we can see in terms of muscling or issues in the body that would come from that compensation? Well, yeah, I mean, I believe when there has been discomfort in the feet, really anywhere, but but since we're talking about feet, when there's been some sort of pain to the foot, pretty quickly, and this comes from different studies vets have done, but within three to four days, the back, I mean, any pain is going to show up in the horse's back. And I don't mean that their back's going to be tender necessarily. It could be, but a lot of times it becomes deactivated just like us. So the deep postural muscles switch off. I mean, that's their way of protecting themselves as well as all the nerve signals get interrupted. So when there's been pain in the feet, the deep postural muscles in the back get turned off which in that moment might not be a problem, except that you can always look at that horse and when you observe them move, either in nature or with a rider, if you look at the way the movement flows through their body, you don't, the back is very still and stationary. It's like a dead zone. And that's something, you know, sometimes we have to train our eye to, but that's where I go to. But to, to get back to your original question, what happens when the back gets deactivated is the horse will still build muscle if it's still in, in some sort of training program. But just like us, if you're not using your back correctly, you end up developing imbalanced muscles. So sometimes you get these really overdeveloped hindquarter muscles. You see that in the stock horses. Sometimes people think that's great. Like bigger bulk is better. Well, it's not but sometimes you'll see that or you'll see the muscling that I refer to as looking like really hard or dry. 
it's like ropey or there's a lot of indentations between muscle groups because the the fascia gets pulled down into those gaps because the muscling isn't smooth and even and well oxygenated and pliable. So anytime I see those kind of rough muscle patterns, you know, that can be a little clue in. It can be a result of sore feet or those, like I say, those overdeveloped hindquarter or like the poverty groove in the hind end of the horse, that like deep channel between the hamstring and the rest of his body. It's muscling, yeah, like they can still put on muscle, but it's not balanced. It's not efficient muscle. And actually, it's funny because you mentioned that groove in the hind end. And I feel like I see a lot of people, you know, take pictures of that and be like, oh, look, my horse has such great hind end muscles, you know, because you can see that groove. But you're saying that's obviously an imbalance of their muscling. Typically, yeah. Now, there are some breeds that are a little bit more predisposed to that pronouncement of that groove. However, in any equine athlete that's been correctly developed, it should not be like a significant groove between the hamstring and the rest of the horse's hindquarter muscling. Um, it, It generally indicates overly tightened hamstrings, which as we know is not good. I mean, as a farrier, you probably often have to deal with those horses dragging their toe and probably struggling to work well downhill, you know, to work smoothly downhill. A lot of those horses with dragging toes have a hard time negotiating downhill terrain because the hamstrings are just so tight. You know, not all strength is good strength. Just same with us, you know, but that's just a little bit on the poverty groove. But you also see that shadowing of muscles a lot in the neck, particularly horses that are worked in restrictive headgear like, you know, side reins and those sorts of uh, auxiliary aids, what happens is the horse is trying to use his neck to stabilize the rest of his body, which it's not designed to do, as well as move himself forward. So you, you build up excess tension in muscle groups that are really designed for locomotion, but they're also trying to stabilize the spine. So they get kind of swollen rather than developed And we're learning more about this now because now vets are able to take more thermographic imaging, for example, as well as ultrasound imaging where they can see inflammation between the muscle fiber. And now we know that like, oh, just because an area is bulky does not mean it's correctly muscled. A lot of times that bulk is inflammation. It's like swelling, poofiness in the the muscle fibers. Wow. I wouldn't have thought of that. So that's so interesting. Um, Yeah. And obviously, you know, as a as a hoof care provider, my first instinct is, you know, get the horse comfortable, make sure that they're, you know, you're growing in healthier feet, they're on a diet that's going to support that and that they're getting hoof care that's going to support that. So as the feet are becoming more comfortable, what can owners do to, you know, utilize some exercises to help kind of unwind some of that body tension and incorrect muscling as the horse gets stronger feet? Well, I mean, the the biggest thing is movement, right? I I really believe we don't move our horses enough. And, And the thing is, especially when something goes a little bit wrong, our inclination with horses is to just lock them down. It's like put them on stall rest, limit their movement, And sometimes that is certainly the case, especially if you don't really know what's going on. But I wouldn't say a majority of the time it's the right thing to do. So what we tend to do is start taking things away when things are not going right. Like 
right? We start taking away their training program. We take away their turnout. We, do, we just start eliminating things. And they need movement. They need movement for circulation and blood flow primarily. And then from there, they need movement to keep their immunity up as well as to build muscle. And that's down the road, obviously. So the thing that owners can do to answer your question is not overthink things, not think, how do I get him now back into his training program, quote unquote, it should be, how can I spend the next 30 days just getting this horse as much unrestricted, low aerobic movement as possible? Like, can I take him for a hand walk for four miles a day? That's going to be good for both of us, right? (laughs) Can I do that? Can I do some of these corrective exercises, like some of the ones in my book? You know, none of those are complicated, right? But it does activate the horse's nervous system in a very positive way. And again, we're not talking about getting him like, quote unquote, fit again. It's let's just take this horse's body through simple maneuvers that require him to get a range of motion again to maybe like relearn that in cases where, you know, you've changed his feet and now there are body changes that need to accompany that, right? So how can I get the most movement as possible? You know, instead of coming to the barn and getting the horse out for 30 minutes of lunging with side reins, don't do that. Um, Take him for like four 10-minute walk jog sessions around your property, around your arena, walk over some ground poles, back him up, and really get him on different surfaces. Walk him up and down your hard driveway, walk him across the grass, take him through the sand. I mean, that's really huge, especially when we're talking about feet as relates to the body and vice versa, right? Yeah. And you know, what's so funny is that I'm getting like so excited as you're talking because all of the things that you're saying are ways that I'll tell owners to get healthier feet because I want them stimulated and I want, you know, those frogs working and their, their hoof over different surfaces and their foot building proprioception and the more stimulation, the stronger the internal structures. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, it obviously all is connected that as we're getting the feet stronger, we're getting the body stronger too. So that's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, hugely. I mean, I just, I, like I say, I just feel like we don't move our horses enough. Even, even horses that get ridden five, six days a week. I mean, to be honest, most people ride 40, 45 minutes a day because that's what they have time for. And the horse is an athlete. I'm not saying you need to gallop him for three hours a day, but horses can move. They need to move and their feet are better for it. But so is everything, (laughs) their, their mental health, their immunity, their skin, everything is better for movement. So that's my mission. I'm on a mission. (laughs) (laughs) no that's great I mean I I sort of am too and I I don't mean to denigrate people who when I say I don't think horses get enough movement I certainly don't mean to denigrate people to say oh y'all are doing a bad job not at all I totally understand people have busy lives and owning a horse is a a lot of work I know (laughs) and you know it's just hard to get them the activity they need but so many of the ways we end up sidelined whether it's a hoof issue or a body issue, a behavior issue, so much of that is from just not moving them enough, you know, and, and I know that seems really simple, but I've seen it be really, really life-changing for many horses. You get their feet comfortable, you know, you get their feet comfortable so movement can be comfy and you give them the right movement and exercise and get their body in balance. And, you know, you got a whole different horse in a lot of cases. Yeah, Absolutely. So from there, I'm wondering, 
you know, as this horse is getting stronger feet, they're moving more. If we start to see body soreness, how much should we worry that that's coming from doing too much too soon? Or is there ever a time when that could be from like a physical therapy type discomfort that is actually strengthening the horse? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's a really important question. And, you know, my honest answer is, I don't know that we all have the answer. I mean, I have some ideas, but I don't want to tell you, oh, I have the answer to that question. I strongly believe that there's so much more physiological research that needs to be done. And these large scale studies are just hard to pull off in the horse world for a number of reasons. So I don't know that we can definitively say we know that, but here's a couple of things to keep in mind. I think when you talk about a compromised movement pattern, so that would assume that we know what that pattern is, right? So, and, and some sometimes I don't know that we do. We, we might go, ah, this horse is kind of not quite right, but we haven't identified, for example, that it's his right front, left hind diagonal pair that has some faulty or delayed muscle firing. And that's the reason for his abnormal movement, right? If you know what his compromised movement is, pattern is, then we can start from there. And when you reintroduce exercise, is that pattern becoming more pronounced? If the answer is yes, then you're strengthening the wrong things, right? That's just a simple way to look at it. Sometimes if you can't see it, you can usually feel it. I know sometimes I'm better at feeling what's going on in their, on, in their back, for example. And I talked earlier about how important the back is. But there should never be soreness to answer that question, in my opinion. When the horse has developed a movement anomaly or like an altered gait pattern, as I said, it's typically in the postural muscles, I believe, which, as you know, is where the nervous system lies. I mean, the majority of the horse's nerves run through his deep postural muscles and his fascia. They're not out in the big fleshy muscles that we all like to look at and touch. So when things are not going right, it's at a pretty deep level. And those postural muscles are slow twitch fibers and we reactivate them just like with physical therapy exercises for ourselves. They are designed to just stimulate an area, not to like work it for 60 seconds or a minute, they are little maneuvers designed to just like wake up an area. That's where you start in your, your exercise reintroduction. And for that reason, there shouldn't be any soreness. These are very slow moving, simple, fine motor control movements. They're not ones that create metabolic waste product, which are the little components that create burning, soreness, inflammation in the following days, those sorts of things. So if in that introductory phase, you are encountering heat or soreness, generally it's an indication that the horse's feet, you know, probably feel so much better that he's overextending himself, possibly, you know, in his loose play or turnout environment, rather than what you've done under saddle, if you're being systematic with your conditioning program. 
was there another part to that question that I no, didn't that was, get to? Yeah, that was good. And actually, it leads well into the next question. Um, so, you know, as you're returning a horse back into work, do you usually start, like you mentioned, with hand walking and then graduate to the ridden work? Or does it depend on how much work the horse was in before owners noticed that there was a hoof problem or a lameness issue? Or how do you usually approach that? Me personally, I... I generally do start with groundwork because, well, a number of reasons. I like to be able to observe the horse. I also am commonly like scurrying around the ground, setting up ground poles and moving them around and stuff. So it enables me to do that. I also, in my groundwork, like to have, you know, a thin whip or piece of bamboo or something that I can lightly touch the horse's body with to stimulate it, to just, you know, awaken him to his abdomen or his haunch, or maybe the fact that he's leaning in on the left shoulder, like a motorcycle going around the turns, those sorts of things. But that said, with each individual owner, if they're doing it themselves, you know, there are some people who are just kind of disorganized on the ground. They feel like they have four left feet and they maybe never learn groundwork. And a lot, a lot as long as the horse isn't unsafe to ride, like he doesn't have an active EPM diagnosis and he's tripping and falling down, for example, as long as he's okay to get on, um, you can certainly, if you're going to be more effective from his back, you could certainly start the walk exercises from the back. So that's why a lot of my exercises in my books, they say you can modify this to do under saddle or from the ground, but I generally start them from the ground. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any exercises that you know, might be commonly used for horses if you're trying to accomplish certain things um, that would actually be more harmful or inappropriate in some cases as you're getting them back into work. Yeah, so many, uh, and I feel like I'm I, I, I feel like I'm swimming against the stream sometimes. I think that fitness is poorly understood with horses, and you know we're learning more as we go. But I feel like for, we've had these like really outdated ideas that need to shift, and it's very frustrating for me when you know somebody like yourself will get the horse's feet right, we'll get the horse in a good boarding situation that's not stressful for it. And then we decide, okay, let's get his body fit. And we put, you know, restrictive headgear on the horse and get him in a frame. And you hear people say, well, you have to get him round and get his back strong and you need to do all this. And I've already made the case that the postural muscles are what need to be activated. You do not need to obsess about strengthening his long back muscles because those are locomotion muscles. They're not the ones that lift the back. And we know that now. And our thinking needs to change. So exercises that force the horse into a frame. So the conditioning programs I've put out there into the world, they, when you're kind of reconditioning, they don't even ask you to pick up a light rain contact until you're like eight weeks into your reconditioning of being very consistent with your work. It's not like, you know, day one or two, you get the horses. We just have these erroneous ideas about that's the way to make the horse strong. And it backfires because like I say, you get the back muscles, the fleshy back muscles really rigid. And we all know rigidity is not the same thing as strength. But the other thing that happens is those deep back muscles that I was talking about earlier, they never get reactivated. They don't automatically switch back on after you've resolved the source of pain just like us, you have to go in there with exercises and specifically turn them back on. So 
that's the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is being wickedly counterproductive <laughs> is like restricted frame. Yeah. I, you know, there's good intentions behind it, but it's outdated thinking. Right. And, and this might obviously be hard to describe on an audio, you know, format, but are there things that we can look for to know that our horse is moving properly and fluidly and that we can do more with them? To me, a horse that's just moving comfortably, so we won't even use any lingo specific to any discipline. A horse that's moving comfortably generally carries his body in a horizontal balance with the ground. I mean, a lot of people describe it as a hunter frame, you know, hunter jumper. Their their top line is somewhat horizontal to the ground. And most horses, when they're comfy and moving in the field, that's the posture they adopt. So, you know, they have maybe a soft arch over their neck from their wither to their ear. Maybe it looks like a, a very wide rainbow, but it's not all high and cranked in. And their back should appear when they trot or canter. You should see the back move, the back muscles flexing and pulsing, and you should see motion through the back. And likewise with the hindquarter. Also, there, I mean, this is non negotiable that when the hind foot lands in any gate, and this applies to gated horses too, it needs to land under where the rider would be. So any horse that is putting his hoof down as you know under like the pelvis or placing it down further back than that god forbid (laughs) is not moving in a healthy comfy fashion something's stuck you know his front end might be stuck his back might be deactivated but that the hind foot should land basically you know under where the rider would sit yeah and i think that's super helpful because i can clearly visualize what you're talking about The other thing too is really simple. These are simple things. I bring them up in horse expos. Um, If you don't see the horse's tail, the bottom of his tail, swishing from hawk to hawk when he trots, that horse is totally not using his back, not active at all through his deep spinal muscles. If it's just hanging straight down while he's trotting, um, there's an issue. And I'll, I'll notice that sometimes when horses come to me for training, I'll go, oh, that tail is really still. <laughs> and then within, it's just a lovely thing to see after a few weeks. This just happened last week. I have a mare here who's kind of making some changes. And in the trot, the bottom tip of that tail starts to swing from hawk to hawk as she trots. And it's like, yes, okay. Now she's activating through her trunk, through her core. The other thing I wanted to mention I'm a huge one for the role of deep breathing. So there are so many horses, and this can start from hoof pain, not always, but it it certainly can start from hoof discomfort. Sometimes it's just a lot of mental anxiety. If your horse is not, I know this sounds simple, but if they're not breathing, they are just stuck through the middle like the plug. And you'd be shocked, like if if you've been riding your horse for more than 20 minutes on any given day, and that horse has not yet like like blown through his nose, he's holding his breath. Sometimes I'll give a person a lesson for 45 minutes and that horse still hasn't blown by the end of the lesson. And he doesn't appear tense on the outside, it's very stoic on the outside, but that horse is is just basically shut down through his middle. I mean, think about that. That diaphragm, is it, it, it should move uh, like a piston back and forth in the chest wall. But if if the back muscles are tight up high where the diaphragm connects, and the horse is not moving freely through his scapula, there's no pushing back and forth of the diaphragm. You don't get the inhale and then the deep exhalations. 
especially in canter. If, if that horse is not, you don't hear that rhythmic exhale in canter. Sometimes you'll hear our grunting instead, you know, the horse will be like, and they're cantering around. That to me is like, oh, wow, that horse is definitely not releasing. He's just in a little bit hypertensioned through the back. So that's something to listen for as well as watch for. How many times does your horse blow out through his nose? And is that something that we can help them work through and get them breathing more? Yeah. So assuming their feet are starting to make some good changes, then sometimes a lot of Jim Masterson's techniques prior to riding, like the wither rocking, super simple technique. That I think that one's also in my 55 Corrective Exercises book that I borrowed from Jim. And so that one can help sort of, again, give the horse's nervous system the idea of what you want. And then when you ride him, you can perform your gymnastic exercises to build on that a little bit. That's so interesting. And actually, the the friend who had recommended you for, you know, to be on this podcast had mentioned that book. You know, I work with a lot of horses that are in hoof rehab, and I think that they could all benefit from having some exercises along the way to, to sort of help them work through that after their feet are more comfortable. Yeah, they're so simple. The exercises are so simple, and they are so effective. I've had a lot of people who do have the luxury of access to vets that are are on site quite a bit. As I said earlier, with like the thermography and the ultrasound, they've been able to track the changes in the horse's postural muscles over the course of doing these simple exercises. And none of which, as I said earlier, make the horse sore because they they shouldn't. <laughs> Soreness comes about from metabolic waste or inflammation. And none of these exercises should be creating that in your horse. So it's just all about activating the parasympathetic nervous system, letting go of tension from the main nervous system, creating, well, uncovering a good movement patterns that the horse was born with, right? <laughs> yeah. And for those who want to see some of this in person, are you doing in-person clinics right now or has that been put on hold? Uh, I am. Yeah, we have regular events here in Santa Cruz. And then I'm starting to plan my calendar on the road as well. Yeah, well, this definitely makes me want <laughs> to try to get to a clinic of yours, because there's so much I would love to learn and, and see you do in person. So hopefully that'll, <laughs> that'll happen within the next year with everything going. Yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hope it's so important. I mean, many people get frustrated with their horses movement. And, and the problem is really the feet, you know, um, not all the time, but you got to have that balance between the two. And then once you fix the feet and you really can make some changes in the horse, it's so fun. Then it's, it's just like you get to bear the fruit of, of all this good, healthy help to his feet and then movement, 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 because as you know, otherwise the changes don't stick around. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think I really just had one last question and it's if you had any last minute advice for an owner that has a horse in rehab from hoof issues or lameness, um, just maybe some tips or advice in general. I think my main tip to people, and I really empathize with, with people seeing your horse in discomfort is not easy. I mean, we love these animals. It's very, it can be very stressful, very emotional. And what becomes very hard is if they have a service provider like yourself, who's doing right by the horse and you have made some small changes and it is time to begin to, to add 
some appropriate exercises back into the horse's life. What becomes very difficult for these people is to take off the kid gloves, to stop worrying and coddling the horse. It, they they have a very hard time trusting. It's okay now. It's okay now to start exercising this horse and getting it on track. So just a lot of deep breathing and a lot of trusting the process. And that's why I've taken the pains of writing down some of these conditioning plans because as you know a lot of times vets will say okay well you know get them back to work and they're like well what the heck does that mean like <laughs> could we be more specific so my tip for owners would be to see where your horse is at every day don't continue to assume that he's in that uncomfortable compromised place he might have been in two months ago you know don't get stuck in that thinking let yourself acknowledge when things have shifted forward and keep moving forward it's easy to just worry 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 yeah yeah I've definitely seen that too and I've been there myself when my horse was having lameness issues um, before I got into hoof care so I totally get that mindset of being nervous about <laughs> doing anything with your horse or worried about yeah. hurting them so yeah yeah well, this has been super enlightening for me, honestly, and I'm I'm not lying when I say it makes me really. It kind of like sparks interest in me to to do more and 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 investigate this more. So, thank you so much for being willing to do this. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so Great. much. Um, and yeah. will your will your clinic schedule be on your website once it yeah it's done? Yeah, it will. I'm I'm pretty good at. Uh at updating the website. So I'll be out at the best horse practices summit in October this year. And then I'm starting to book clinics for, for next year. So like regular teaching clinics, I'm doing like more presentation and demo at the best horse practices summit. And where is that? The best in Lexington this year. It moves oh. around. Well, I'll, I'll keep an eye out on the website. I'll add the website to the show notes and. Okay. Yeah. Super. All right. Well, th oh, thanks. Great. Thanks a lot, Alicia. Yeah. Well, have a good rest of your night. <laughs> Thanks, you too. Thank yeah. you. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.